Let us pray. Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Those words on the front of our order of service. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when I feel it not. I believe in God, even when he is silent. The words of this anonymous poem were found in 1945, scratched onto the wall of a concentration camp by the victim of the Holocaust. A defiant message of hope and belief in God. To think differently. To think better. To make that journey from where to who. Even in God's apparent absence. Yet the question of God's silence amidst the horrors of war and humanity's inhumanity was a repeated refrain during and at the end of World War I. It continued on because the Great War didn't end all wars, rather it seemed to sow the seeds of a century of conflict. Still today, it's a question that does not go away. I recently read Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, write that the question he's asked more than any other relates to God's silence, namely, where is God? Inevitably, that question is expressed in different ways, but what it's asking, or irrespective of its context, is where were you? And why aren't you intervening when bad happens? It's a question that's been asked by people since the beginning of time. It's a question that was used often by the ancient and now the modern-day atheists to argue against the existence of God. Yet in my experience, I find such arguments inferior to the ones questioning God's silence that I find in this very book of the Bible itself. A good dose of the Hebrew biblical writers in the Psalms reveal how God not only gives us the words to use, he also gives us the freedom as well to reject him. Even Jesus himself used these words when he cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The person who came closest to getting an answer from God to the question of his apparent silence was the man who suffered most in the Old Testament, Job. His questioning and complaint came down to two thoughts about God. God, you've done a lousy job in this world. And then one day I'd like to tell you you've done a lousy job in this world. And then one day Job got his chance. And he did meet God. When out of his so-called silence, he spoke. When that response came, it was not the one Job was expecting. It's actually the longest recorded speech by God in the Bible where Job is challenged, like the poem from the Holocaust victim challenges us to think differently, to think better, to make that journey from where to who. God's words to Job drew a different response from confession to repentance, from confusion to worship, from misunderstanding to amazement, 
at who God is and how little he really knew. His response challenges us to think differently, to think better. Away from the question, where is God, to who is God? It's through understanding who God is that we recognize where God is amidst his apparent silence at such devastation and destruction from the bloodbaths of World War I, whether we take the Somme, Passchendaele, or Verdun, to the battles of World War II, whether it was Stalingrad, Berlin, or the D-Day landings, from the haunting sounds of silence in Auschwitz or Flossenburg or Cologne, to the silence and the mess of the conflict in our own lives. It was the Holocaust survivor and Nobel Peace Prize winner Elie Wiesel, who famously made this journey in part from where to who, in his book, Night. He recalls hauntingly his experiences of being in some of those concentration camps, having seen his parents die, his sister die, the barbarity of the behavior. But perhaps most horrifyingly, in his description of when he was made to watch a 13-year-old boy hang. Basil described this boy as, as he choked, to appear to have the face of a sad angel. And he was made to watch him for more than 30 minutes as the oxygen was strangled out of this boy's life. And as he watched, a man from behind shouted, where is God now? And his immediate response was to hear from within him answer the man, where is he? Here he is. He is hanging here on this gallows, just as he was standing in the trenches of the Western Front and the beaches of northern France, and just as he stares with us in the difficulties we face. Why? Because he's been there before. Wiesel was encouraged to write about his story by the French literary figure Francois Mauriac, who wrote the preface to that book. In it, Mauriac wrote about how Wiesel once asked him that question, where is God? As if his dark eyes still held the reflection of that angelic silence which had appeared upon the face of the hanged child. Mauriac responded by thinking of that other Israeli his brother, who may have resembled him, the crucified, whose cross had conquered the world and who was the cornerstone of his faith. Who is God? It's through knowing who God is that we recognize where he is, for God is love. As a certain wedding preacher said at a royal wedding last year, if it's not about love, it's not about God. At the heart of Christianity is a two-act event which demonstrates the unconditional love of God for each one of us. It's first about remembrance and second, it's about hope. In the Easter story of Jesus' death on the cross and his rising from the dead, it's about remembering. Remembering the unconditional love of God who came as a human being And who, with his very last words and act, demonstrate this unconditional love to the thief on the cross. It reminds me of this. 
There's nothing I can do to make God love me any more. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me any less. It reminds me of this. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you any more. Nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Whoever we are. But it also reminds me of the day itself. When the sun was banished and God turned out the light. The day when it seemed love was end, dead. The day when it seemed God was silent. And then he roared. And then he roared with such a loud voice. Ever heard anyone else roar when they breathed their last breath? It drew praise from the watching Roman centurion, believe you me, the equivalent of a first century SS officer who was lost for words in amazement at his love. At the heart of Christianity is a two-act event. It's about remembering and it's also about hope that a new day will come when evil and death will be no more because Jesus rose from the dead. The only hope I have and the only hope I will ever have is because Jesus died and rose again. And this God of love challenges us to think differently, to think better, to make that journey from where to who and believe in him, even in his apparent absence. And for now we're to live a life that is shaped by that Easter story. A life that remembers and is shaped by the cross that becomes the pattern of our life and the resurrection that becomes the power of that life to think differently, to think better, to make that journey from where to who. See, God never promises any of us an easy life. But he does promise to be with us in our trenches, on our beaches, on our gallows because he is love. As the famous poem Footprints reminds us where the writer himself questions, where were you God in the silence of my saddest and most troublesome times of my life? To which our God of love responds, I was right there holding you up because he was held up for you and for me. It's who he is. Remembrance Sunday is also a two-act event of recollection and hope, of remembering the past and allowing it to shape the future. And those two themes of remembrance and hope also run through the World Holocaust Remembrance Center, Yad Vashem, in Jerusalem. If you've ever visited Yad Vashem, your life becomes different. You think better. You make that journey. Time may dull some memories, but you never forget what happened and the images you've seen. But you also never forget, amidst the horror, something else. Because when you leave through the exit, you somehow are shaped unexpectedly by hope. As you walk out to the balcony overlooking the stunning beauty of the Jerusalem hills. Centuries before, when the psalmist saw this sight, he famously wrote, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He too challenges us when the sun's not shining, when we aren't feeling the love, when God seems absent to think differently. 
to think better, to make that journey and believe in who God is, God of love. Because then we remember and understand where he is in our difficulty. Let us pray. God of love from whom comes our salvation. In our times of misunderstanding your silence, help us to remember who you are and your unconditional love for us and where you are with us. And draw us through remembrance to hope and belief in you. In the name of Jesus Christ who conquered death and lives forever. Amen.